The Say Something Podcast is brought to you by BlackBlueprints.com. That's BlackBlueprints with a Z dot com. I am Jermaine Morris here with the one and only Mr. Barry Axius. Yes, sir. Bringing the newest episode of the Say Something Podcast. Say something, say something, say something. As always, talking to you about everything going on in life, everything happening out here in the traffic, everything going on in these streets. In these cold, 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 cold streets. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Bringing you episode number 105. Booyah, 105. 105 shots. Yeah. highway. It's going to be a hot summer. <laughs> 105. Always like to highlight individuals out here doing it for the culture, those who are still with us, as well as those who've gone on and uh, people who made their mark or are making their mark uh, uh, on the world, leaving their imprint, their 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 legacy, their 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 stamp showing that they was here. Yes. Yes. And uh, this individual is definitely made their their, their mark uh, impactful and uh, more so than I think a lot of people realize. I think it would just be uh, borderline disrespectful to not to not acknowledge him solely because he we just lost him. And so uh, somebody whose impact has been felt more so than I think a lot of people on the outside may have realized that we have individuals that are important to us for for a multitude of reasons. And sometimes the story comes up about when when celebrities pass, like, why do people get all upset when some famous person dies and you don't even know them? Well, a lot of times that the things that people create, the, the art that they create, the movies that they made, the TV shows they were on, the music that they make, those are things that become benchmarks in our individual lives. Mm-hmm. You know, that 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 song reminds us of sophomore year. Uh-huh. Uh, that movie reminds us of, of when we were in high school with our friends, you know, that that championship. It feels like we won it right along with them because we knew what was going on in our life during that season. And so when when people who are famous happen to pass, there are people who are emotionally invested in their life because their lives were intertwined, especially when you talk about musicians. And one who just recently passed was in rare air to his craft. So even if you weren't a fan of, of the genre or you're not even overly familiar with his work, if you take all of the people who've created music in every genre, he is one of six who has who ha- released the, the air, the conversation he's in, the, the small group, it just said covering music, was uh, Led Zeppelin, uh, Garth Brooks, System of a Down, Jay-Z, and Tupac Shakur. That's the company he's in. Put two albums out in one year? Two number one albums out. Ah. There's a big difference. difference. (laughs) There's a whole lot of people who dropped (laughs) and didn't drop one number one album in a year. He dropped two in the same year. Only one of six groups in all genres of music have done that. And him, Pac, DMX, share a table with Led Zeppelin and some other folks. Led Zeppelin, System of a Down is an alternative rock group, and Garth Brooks, who's one of the country music icon. That boy, the impact of hip hop. But keep going, brother. I'm saying, and, and if you're not familiar with System of a Down, hard rock stuff, that that's they're the only one of their genre. Garth Brooks, the only one of his genre. Led Zeppelin, the only one of his genre. But hip hop. Three. Got three. <laughs> <laughs> Hip-hop has three. He also boasts to his credit, he dropped five consecutive albums, which f- went number one five consecutive times. That wasn't up. There wasn't there wasn't six, no, it was five. Five number ones in a row from from 1998 to 2003. In in the course of his career, uh he was leading role in, in, in uh two films, though he was in several others. Uh, sold over 23 million albums in his career. Uh, the deacon of hip hop. Some would say he was anointed. There was a, a presence that he would give that every time he spoke, it felt like he was given a sermon. Yes, sir. And though he was, he, everyone knew of the struggles that he had in his life. There was always the presence that regardless of your belief system to his, the Lord was with him. Mm-hmm. And so he has gone on at the age of 50. So we show an appreciation for the life and times of Earl Simmons, a.k.a. Dark Man X, man. a.k.a. 
DMX one time. Get at me, dog. <laughs> Get at me, dog. Um, brother, I did a more truth than you can handle about my brother DMX. Uh, this, I don't know if I could say this was a tough one because I felt like it was to be expected. And when I say that, I don't mean that in a harsh reality um, because I know fans, family, friends, uh, they are really reeling in the loss of this brother who was only 50 years old. Yeah. I say that because we know we got to watch the journey of his success um, and then the downward spiral, which in reality was the start of X, right? Before he became yeah. famous, you know, a lot of us got to see the famous part before you got to really hear and see, you know, you just kind of like speculated and you just kind of like, well, why is that dude got, who's Boomer? I remember the first time when, uh, he, you know, he you know, had his shirt off and he was like, it was like Boomer. I'm like, who the heck is Boomer? And it was like, you find out it's his dog, one of his uh, first ones. And then you start hearing and then you start learning about how dark his life was at yeah. an early age. Uh, you know, mother says, I don't want to take care of you no more. Father had been already gone. Big homie laces his weed, which is spirals him into, you know, crack addiction. You know, his best friend is a dog because of the simple fact he can't or he feels he can't trust adults. And then he has you know, this rugged rap style that in particularly at that moment, hip hop wasn't leaning that way, yeah. right? So you got this gritty street dude talking this gritty street shit and hip hop is not there, right, in that moment. Yeah. And then eventually upon the death of Biggie in 97, upon the death of, um, you know, Pac, X was a breath of fresh air you know what i mean we had jay-z um kind of giving us the hustlers anthems and being able to really jump from hustler music to popping in the club music to lyrical like masterpieces it was like okay and then here you had x that created that gritty alpha male you know rugged raw Forget the jewelry, forget the bling. This is what I am, yeah. my Tims, and 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 really this raw, raw like rap, which was what hip hop is that raw, raw energy, and as well as having a real spiritual side, but having a very, very dark side. And I mean, what you bees want from a, a, a Negro? Get at me, dog. Rough Riders anthems. Uh, uh, they don't know, uh, you know, and some of his collabos, uh, money, cash, HOs, you know what I'm saying? Just, yeah. you know, four, three, two, one, blackout, it's just all of these different things, you know, the collaboration with Aaliyah, it, but watching his downward spiral was just as epic as watching his rise to fame, right? And when you heard about the passing, and we will talk about the other stuff about how he passed or whatever. You just felt like now he's at peace because you think that you believe that he was struggling and he was probably staying alive for other folks, not necessarily for himself because he had just went through so many phases. You know, I think I'm hearing he's left 15 to 17 children, uh, 17, um, kids, yeah. 17 kids, yeah. you know, and he's left us a legacy. And I think now we're looking at him and damn, like, oh, snap. We I don't think we really treated or respected the, the um, you know, amount of work that he left. I think that in the era of DMX and Jay-Z, two of the top rappers at that particular time, you think about when you talk about Biggie and you talk about Pac, right? Um, so different, but so similar. The funny part about Jay-Z and DMX once upon a time with Ja Rule, they were supposed to have this stuff. Well, like one of the first super rap groups that was supposed to come out, um, like Murdergram or something like that. And I remember they came out with three songs or two songs, maybe three, but two songs and the anticipation for that. 
And it was crazy how Ja Rule had his breakout. Jay-Z had his breakout. And DMX had his breakout. DMX and Jay-Z were before Ja Rule. And all three guys at a particular time were so big that you never got that initial supergroup collaboration. And things that happened because of competitive nature of the hip-hop music. But for the Jay-Z and for the DMX... It was almost like you were a DMX fan or you were a Jay-Z fan. You could be both. But it was always that kind of angle. And then when you saw them, because I got to see them grace the stage together at the Rough Riders um, Rockefeller tour, some things that you'll probably never see in our lifetime because hip-hop has gone to a place where it's really really negative. For me, like watching those superpowers, as well as Method Man, as well as Red Man, coming together, those are the things that I miss about hip-hop. Those are the kind of things that I that I love about hip hop that Jay Z could coexist and DMX could coexist, and I think that because Jay Z's made so much power moves, in a sense of music outside of music and elevation, and you really forget about all of the things that X did because most of what we saw after his mu- music career hit a pinnacle was a lot of dysfunctional behavior, destructive behavior. Like this dude has been dodging death. For I don't know how long. You talk about stints in jail, prison, uh, you know, o- ODs, you know, whatever kind of drama you do talking about DMX has been in. But it, it seemed like eventually he, he started to clean up and it was getting better. And he was going into that next term of his life, being 50, being older, um, having a new, uh, a, a new child and having a fiance and being a lot more open and more candid about what was going on. And we can kind of get a look at DMX in a whole different level when you're looking at the Rife, Rough Riders, excuse me, Rough Riders um, Chronicles that they put out on BET. You're listening to uh, the interviews that he have with Noriega on his podcast. Yeah, the Drink Champs. The Drink Champs. You know what I mean? It, it, these All these profound things, you started to like, oh, okay, we about to get a different side of X. You talk about the verses that he did with Snoop Dogg, right, which was one of the best verses that folks had said. I mean, yeah. DMX versus the dog. Uh, you feel now that you got stripped of the next best parts of his life that would have made, made it made sense of all of the struggles that he went through. And to me, that's the sad part about it all, right? That yeah. you don't get to see the next version of DMX. And he dropped a new album from what I heard, as well as a documentary. Like I don't know if it's a bio, but a documentary as well. And it's unfortunate that, you know, as a young age of 50, we're not going to be able to see the next levels of the immaturation with X. And that's what sucks. Yeah. Like, I really, that's to me, he, we, he, his life has got cut too short. Yeah, we've seen it. He lived it. Trust me, he lived a great life, regardless of all the struggles. He great lived a great life. He was very much a giving dude. He didn't care about the material things. He was at an age where he knew that he aged out of hip-hop because hip-hop was going a different way. And, and it sucks because hip-hop has often been a thing. If you don't stay relevant, they forget about all the stuff that you did. This You heard what you just said? This dude had five number one records, uh, albums, platinum, number one. And then he's in a top six of something that has never happened like it like doesn't happen it's a rarity people don't drop two albums and i remember um hell is hot uh dark what is it uh, it was something uh, dark yeah don't have me lying but yeah, yeah and man. then flesh on my flesh blood my blood yeah. i like brother those were anthems you know what i'm saying those was anthems like songs like blackout that people don't even know those hip-hop collaborations with uh locks jay-z and dmx or um the ends done started something with locks dmx mace you know him propelling other careers because he was the the imprint of rough riders so he helped eve he helped uh propel swiss beats he helped propel um the locks so what we know they they are today and he allowed hip-hop to have different identities outside of what we were expecting to be bling drug hustle money da 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 he went to a place that a lot of hip hop artists didn't go and it was like a a um re emergence of what we lost in Tupac in a way right that was kind of like the DMX feel totally different though totally different yeah. but it still had that renaissance and I, and I just can remember him on um JO Felons 
I can give it to you, but what you're going to do with it? It's just DMX came with that. Ah, yeah. Man. I think people, the context for, for some people is so he came at the, the segue out of the bad boy jump. Because a lot of people were first introduced to him on the uh, money, power, respect. You know, is uh is where most people, a lot of people got first introduced to him, you know. And, and so you coming off of the puffy, they call it the East Coast, West Coast stuff. Then it's all this bad boy, shiny shoots, dancing around, uh, kind of pop, kind of club stuff. That was kind of the direction that that hip hop was going. And then you get this dude that's just none of that. And what and I agree with the likeness to Pac was not necessarily he was way more lyrical than Tupac was. But if you go if you go if you listen to freestyles from DMX to freestyles from Pac, DMX had, had some better DMX was a battle rapper. Pac was yeah, but that doesn't mean that he had better lyrics. Let's let us let us no, but, but just just let me finish well, the thought. Well, 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 I I don't know. Tupac well, see where the thoughts going. Uh, so, Tupac has some deep shit. But let's 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 okay. it's but, about but, DMX right now. And so it, the fact is that so where he came out of so what the likeness, like I said, what he it was the emotional component with him is that most people you felt what he was talking about. And so that you got that gravity of people who like who were Pac fans. You got somebody that you could feel. And then you got somebody who were East Coast fans who got somebody who had bars. And so that transition out of the shiny suits and the club stuff. Uh, was, was you not a fan of his of his bars? No, DMX had bars. I just, I'm not gonna say like Pac, brother. You gotta listen to some of Pac. But like I, I said, I this can, is about DMX, man. Yeah, We're not I, gonna I, even I, get to the DMX and Pac the lyrical best rhymes on his Machiavelli. To me, some of the most lyrical Pac. I you haven't listened to strictly, strictly for I'm, my ends. I'm familiar. I'm talking about brother. My yeah. favorite. We're talking about preference. Okay. So, so, so my some of my favorite bars out of Pac was on that Machiavelli album, but. Um, but I'm saying for 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 DMX for for people who were where hip hop was at the time, you you were one or the other. You were known for being a lyrical rapper, but you didn't have hit songs, or you could put together hit songs, but they weren't they weren't really saying nothing. Like I could sit there and say, when you think about Nas, I think the one thing that has always been things that folks are like, I love Nas. Nas is the guy, but the reason why folks would pick Jay Z over Nas was like because Jay-Z would have some slappers that would be like some damn he's saying yeah, some stuff but he's just still yeah. it's still a beat and that's the same thing with DMX right like when you listen to party up like he's talking ish that is a battle Dude, rap song but, put to club beat listen and then when you talk about uh uh what's my name it's like it's like what it, you it, he's going in but you can bump those or the Rough Rider anthem? Come on, dog! Like yeah, I say, he, you had dudes out there. That was the, that was our big argument about Nas that he he never he didn't Nas's biggest records, the club record stuff, because Lauren Hill and, that was and, that was probably his biggest one. And Puffy, yep, you can hate me now. Yeah, so I mean, and and, and, and you can hate me now. It's kind of not like a you know, it's it's kind of like a. It's not like that. It's no, nah, but like, it's a it's a puffy, you know. Yeah, you know what I mean. You got the puffy, yeah, 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 you know. It's it's that, it's, it's, yeah, you get a V. Hey, it's that like. Flossy. But it's not a. But there. But it's not a Nas record. So for people who are like Nas fans, th th that hate me now is a throwaway for a lot of like hardcore Nas yeah, fans. They don't even play. No, no. <laughs> so you know. That's, think, you know what? A, a banger in the club to me for Nas, and I we're not trying to skip into a Nas conversation, no. but. Is like Nas is like it was kind of with a it was a DJ premiere song produced, and that's kind of got that flair. You know what I mean? Yeah, a little bit more. Yeah, and, yeah. and of course, and of course, you got the song he did with Genuine that really people didn't really like. Yeah, if you take you owe me, and then you take Uchi Wally, you yeah. take like I said, these are the th they're throwaways to Nas fans, like hardcore Nas fans. They throw those away, and so but those are his biggest records. But DMX, yeah. but hardcore. DMX fans they rock with party up they you know that that that's a, that that one's i, I know they're, they're that one's the only questionable one i know for a lot I of dmx know, fans or, for that I'm saying that's the only question one i've ever heard but the but all the other ones if like if you if you yeah if you took party up just read the lyrics 
Forget, don't even listen to it to music. Just read the lyrics. It is a very disrespectful battle rap. Brother? But but people, <laughs> but it is, but when you rehear it, it's like, oh, club stuff. That's where he was at. He he could, could drop stuff that you could feel. And people could argue that his interviews were as potent as his lyric, as his songs. Like he was DMX interviews. He was uncut. Viral, his interviews do better than a lot of people's songs do on the radio. Whether he would the, the the drink champs we recently did, whether it be a Breakfast Club interview, I mean, when he did Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer over at Power, that became a, a, a major circulating song like Mariah Carey at Christmas time. Like, but you forget it, it, about all these things because all his jail stints, his rehab stints, his battle with um, drug addiction overtook all of those things that, for me, would have calculated him as probably being top five best hip-hop artists and i'm talking a body of work not just lyrics just a body because at one point in time especially when dmx got into that acting he blew everybody's socks off with with belly blew everybody's socks off with belly there is that one movie he did um that he was pretty much he was the lead actor it was like um, a movie, uh, If I Die, some type of shit. And he played like this drug dealer, came back, got killed by his son. It, it just, it was, it was a, it was a dope, pretty, it was a dope movie. It was underground, more or less. I don't think he got that much acclaim for it, but he got, because the movie didn't blow up, but his acting yeah, he got ability. To, to his credit, they'll give him Belly, which was an independent film. It had like a $3 million budget. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Romeo Must Die. The part with with Aaliyah, then the Cradle to the Grave. Like he had, I mean, he had. But I'm some talking movies. about the other, yeah. But I'm talking about the other movie that, like, he was. It was his movie, right? And and I forget who he was. What? Damn, I can't even remember the name of the movie, and I do apologize. But my yeah. my thing is, if he didn't have all of the, and he talks about it in one of his um, chronicles of of um, you know the Rough Riders, he didn't really associate himself with being famous. And at times him coping with a lot of the attention was going to the drugs and, and not wanting to be in the limelight. So he was his own self-sabotager. So for me, and it's almost like when we talk again, the parallels with him and Tupac, it was like, if Tupac was like, yo, let me just stay off the street shit and let me not worry about that. And let me put all my talents into like navigating my music career and acting like we'd still be talking about Pac because Pac would be like be on his third directoral freaking fourth directoral yeah. movie. And the same with DMX. He would be in movies where he would be a real lead actor where he would have transformed not into a Will Smith, but that other ultra um, like alpha-ish male-ish figure in a lot of movies um, because that's the kind of skill set that he had. And yeah. He just, I think, the misdirection of who he was in a sense of battling with all these demons, I think, created a pathway to him not getting the acclaim that he rightfully deserved. Yeah, he I mean, you look at history, uh, his history and then what it, how that carries over into just like society and stuff. I mean, that that incident with the 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 older cat who put him down that spiraling direction with drugs. You know, he was saying how we got the, the weed that was laced with crack. And he said, well, what happened? He said, it just created a monster. I mean, he was just like it. And not only did that create the drug addiction, but it it, it brewed something in him when it pertained to trusting people. Mm. You know, like this is this is somebody he, that he looked up to. I remember when he was giving that interview, watching it, he was just starting to tear up thinking about it so many years removed. He's like, why? Who would do that to a child? Like, who would do that to a kid that you know looks up to you and, and give him weed laced with crack? Like, and and just just destroyed a part of him. You know, he said, I smoked that, it. And that's I that, that's that like innocence, him. dog. Yeah, he said, I smoked something, never felt nothing like that before. And then you're spending the rest of your life biologically chasing that feeling. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he said, this monster was born. And he just was like, it, it dr drastically changed the trajectory of who he was going to become. And not only to the addiction part, but then the human component of dealing with people like that degree of trauma to somebody that age, just it, that offset his relationships with with his wife, the 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 mothers of the children, 
um, friendships that he got into, like that drastic, like that fork in the road drastically changed who, who he had become. And for a lot of us, if you don't record music or you don't make movies, whatever, there are traumatic incidences that send us down directions that alter and change who it is that we become. And like, there's been a, a, a few stories that come around that uh, that's been affecting people that I don't, I think gets missed by the general public. And so simple things like one, there was a story out of uh, Georgia where the, the parent was looking at his kids in daycare, looking at, and all of a sudden it was like all the white kids were being served and the, and, and the black kids weren't eating yet. <laughs> you know, so he, and, he, it's, you know, he called, and it's not funny like that, but it's, it's funny in the sense of, we're still here like that, but go ahead. So he, you know, he called up there. He's because he's watching it. You know, they got it's like online, like Zoom. You can look at the classroom, and he's just like, so he screenshots it, calls up to the school, and what the hell's going on in my kid's classroom? You know, and they're just like, oh, we don't know. I'm not in the room. I don't. I couldn't tell you what's happening. And he gives all these conflicting stories about, you know, oh, maybe it was a dietary thing. That's not really what it looked like. It was such, <laughs> such whatever. But the reality is, you get kids like that who are sitting there, you know, a handful of black kids in this classroom. And they're watching all of the white kids eat and they're sitting around sitting, sitting at different tables. It's not like they're all sitting <laughs> together. So they're sitting at different tables looking around and that imprints something. You know, you, you had the, the brother, the, the lieutenant who got who gets pulled over for uh, a traffic issue. And ends up getting pepper sprayed in the car, you know, from, from the police officer. The, the, the incident happened at uh, the end of last year, but the story's out now. And he's in his full fatigues, you know, and, and cops pull him over, tell him to get out. He's explaining, you know, what did I do? What happened? What's going on? And, they, you know, they're giving him the whole just shut up and get out the car, shut up and do as you're told. Ultimately, it ends up, you know, he's got one cop at the back of the car, the other one in his window, pepper sprays him and the dog, you know, and that officer uh, ultimately ended up being fired. But this is another moment to where you change. You know, you get these kids and they're like, well, how come you don't comply? And the cop just wants to just I just need to cuff you to detain you and ask you questions. I just need to, to cuff you till I find out what's happening. The, and there will be people who are like, yeah, just get, get just get handcuffed. She's just asking you questions. Just. Yeah. But you don't realize when you're just existing in your world. And now, all of a sudden, you've got people who want to shackle you. You've got people who want to put you in the back of a squad car. You got people who are and you could be doing on the straight and narrow. And it doesn't seem like it matters because you end up in the back of a police car. You end up detained just like you were a criminal. That changes who you were. Those are traumatic moments that shift the, the trajectory you were on, minding your own business, living your life, whatever, to having somebody like I and I just did this. Then we, we, we tie it in. Like, I don't think people get what that does to a human being to have grown adults jump on you and pin you down. Mm. Having somebody pulling your arms behind your back and forcing your face into the ground. They had that guy who was in the snow and they had to bury his face in the snow till he was suffocating. So he could, so they can get control of him. Like your natural instinct to fight back. You think in your head, you can overpower somebody if your life really depended on it. And then you find out in that moment, you couldn't. Mm. Whatever you, whoever you were before that incident, you're changed. Yeah. And, and all these different things that happen, you see all these reports and all the stuff that goes on that, that we don't I don't think we pay enough attention to. We look at them as isolated incidences and you're creating a brand new person when these trauma and traumatic things happen. And I think that, you know, boy. Black people. Are not identified and connected with trauma. No. Right. Because we have this I, for us we have this idea of a resilience and i think we've allowed ourselves to be labeled that where a white guy can go in there kill 10 people colorado walk out get arrested maybe get shot in the leg you know and we talk about all the traumatic situations that he dealt with outside yeah. of this is a domestic terrorist yeah. african-american male gets killed for having an air freshener traffic violation just now happened in Minnesota. Yeah. And we're going to talk about his criminal past. Yeah. It's just the hypocrisy. And I think that because we've been labeled so much as strong people and it, and in a lot of parts, this is the truth. Yeah. 
and we've been able to hide emotions and, and not be able to display emotions because even in our childhood, think about it. DMX was told like at what? At an early age, I don't know, 12 years old, nine, something crazy like that. By his mama, I can't take care of you. I don't want you. You got to go find your own self. To find, you got to find for yourself. Figure it out. But mind you, we have parents, black parents, that as soon as we get 18, they're like, to the door you go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they've been telling you since you were eight. As soon as you turn 18, you gone. As soon as, you, as soon as your 18th birthday, plan on having your bags packed. When you're 17 and 364 days, you, don't be surprised when you get that duffel bag by the front door. So we've never, at a, as a community, accepted this idea of trauma because trauma was that word that was a bad, it was worse than probably saying the B word or the N word in front of your parents. Trauma, like what? That's, you're crazy if you're dealing with trauma. And that's it was connected to white people yeah. and it connected to crazy. But yeah. the reality, all we've gone through since our capturing and our enslavement and our brutality, uh, or excuse me, our brutal journey to America, all we've dealt with is trauma. And we have not identified it. So now that we have identified it, it's like almost like a sinking ship. It's too late. We're going down. And we looked, and it's crazy how now we, are celebrating the life of DMX. But when he was going through everything he was going through, yeah. I know he had some people on his side, but I remember a lot of memes. Niggles was laughing about his drug addiction, clowning his drug addiction. Um, you know, the multiple, uh, you know, pictures of him getting locked up and all of this. Yes, yeah, some of that shit was comedy because, you know, X would make it funny, but it was yeah, never funny. Story, it would be funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. it was never funny. Like it, him in the court dates. It was never funny. Like it was never funny when it was happening in Tupac. And then he ended up dying. You know, none of these things are never funny. So now we're embracing it and we're loving it and we're accepting and we're happy and we're like, oh man, him, this, this, that. We got all these stories, but you didn't give a shit when he needed you the most. Nobody really cared. You were everybody's butt of jokes. And I think that with trauma in our community, we've realized that we've finally been able to say that it's a real thing. We've been able to identify it, that it's created some of these things that trigger me, you, and all of the above. And you find more and more people saying their trauma started in childhood yeah. by betrayal of some kind of adult. And with him, you have betrayal of his both his parents and a big homie. And when you look at now the trauma that we engage in on an everyday basis, it's the trauma of a system that continues to show us y'all are bottom feeders and we will always be because it, it, it behooves me <laughs> that we're in a moment where we have one of the biggest trials in American history with George Floyd. And I, of course, George Floyd ain't on trial, but yeah, Derek is on trial. But you would never know that because, you know, it's, the it's black man George who's Floyd's dead. character that's on trial. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And then, what is that? The young kid, his name is Deontay Wright, I believe, 20-year-old. Uh, uh, Dante. Uh, yeah, I want to say Dante. Dante. Dante, Dante, Dante Wright. Wright, 20 years old. Yeah. Just got killed Sunday. By police officers for air freshener, like yeah, a traffic violation. Like, are we like are we the comprehension <laughs> for me and this this reality that we live in? It's like we can't even have a moment to mourn and celebrate a brother like DMX. We got brothers getting killed for air freshener, and then we got white folks talking about we need to do a rally for white lives. As if their lives don't matter. And how do you go from the multiple domestic terrorists that have done shootings in the last two months, three months, and you couldn't arrest this kid or allow the confusion? So when you look at what's happening in, in, in um, Officer Derek's trial, you have officers finally, because it doesn't happen that often, saying, 
is yeah, this I don't know what he was on. Like this, this is not our this is not a part of our um training. Um, we have never been taught these kind of methods. He was out of line. You know, wow. Like, so we, it's an epiphany. In that moment, you're thinking, okay, because eventually all of our protesting, our marching, and our civil disobedience from all over this country, from numerous parts of the land, is kind of finally woken up the system a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. We ain't going to get we just a smidgen. We're just a smidge. And then in a sense of we may have a breakthrough, officers are still negligent and, 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 and still foolish enough, especially in a place. It's like it'd be one thing if it happened in St. Louis. It'd be another thing if it happened in, 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 in Sacramento. It'd be one thing if it happened anywhere else but the place that's having Same one of the place. greatest biggest trials, damn near in the same area <laughs> that George Floyd got killed. You got this situation happening. Yeah. I, it just, uh, brother, it's almost, it's the shock part is like, you're over it. But the stupidity of law enforcement or the negligence of law enforcement, and when we talk about the system of trauma that's been in place, so black people are facing childhood traumas and systematic traumas and they've never really been identified because no one necessarily cared because they look at us as we are walking robots that have no emotion that's why they tested us in Tuskegee with the syphilis because they wanted to cheap testing the negroes that's why they had us on you know sex uh, uh, uh plantations having negroes and women having sex all day to make babies so they can put them out there on the field, the plantations. You know, they they it's almost like you understand why X was so cold but was so loved or was so cold in moments of times but had so much love but had so much pain and prayed because the, the evil in this world, what it creates if you are not grounded. So I can't get mad at his addiction because I understand why this world would create this place where you feel that you just want to get and numb yourself. Cause it yeah. just, to me is crazy how we're in this moment yet again. Yeah. We, I mean, there were these reports now coming out about um, black male suicide rates, the, the, the increase and then the attempted suicide rate. And that coupled with the rise in domestic violence and, and child abuse that there's a lot of black men walking around this country just so scarred <laughs> from incidences that have happened. And why I think that it's important when you start highlighting people stories like, like DMX as a child and, and issues where, you know, dealing with law enforcement in certain capacities and, and being in schools where you feel like you're singled out for no other reason than the color of your skin. All that stuff, it just creates and then just festers. And you get older and more and more things happen mm -hmm. and you get older and more. And, more, and you don't. And, and this is removing the people who forget criminals. This is you're not breaking the law. You're not out here, you know, shooting stuff up. You're just carrying it with <laughs> facts in a society that tells you your feelings don't matter. Mm. You know, and, and you just keep carrying it and carrying it. And then you reach a point to where you can't carry it anymore. You develop coping mechanisms, you know, the, the drug and alcohol spike. Well, you know, why there's so many why is smoking weed and drinking alcohol so common in these areas? Because it's a way to get through the day. It's, it, it's yeah. a way to, to deal with some of the stuff that's going on. You know, mm -hmm. where are these, these things manifest themselves? Unprocessed emotion, a bunch of healing that never happens. Like these things are. are it, it's so you think about. So Dante, his yeah. girlfriend was in the car. Mm. What do you think that's going to do to her for the rest of her life and whatever family she lives in as she moves on? <laughs> Like the, the fear she'll raise in, in any son she has. You know what I'm saying? Like, like what she's going to carry around with her and her spirit for the rest of her life. And it's like, it's almost like they don't even care about that part. That's what I'm <laughs> you like, know what I mean? No, there's no belief. Of, there's no remedy. The, 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 the brother who was in, I want to say it was in Akron, who they, they are handcuffed for them. And they, 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 they put his face in the snow. And they were just like trying to get him down, get him down. He was fighting back. And then they were, the, you see the cop shoveling the snow to the side of his face to cover his nose and mouth 
So then he's, you know, he's, he's passed out. He's like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And he, then he was apologizing. He's like, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 you know, I'm sorry. Like, sorry for fighting back. Sorry for running. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't breathe. Like whatever happened prior to that moment, that dude is forever changed from that moment. Done. Done. You see, like, like these, these incidences, these, these traumatic things that happen are, are, they end up affecting everybody. You know, you get a bunch of unhealed people just roaming around. It is it becomes everybody's problem. And I wish that there was more of a concern of that. We're supposed to get the opioid epidemic. Mm. You know, the, 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 these people are sick. These people need help. Mm. What about us? What about blacks? Yeah. Well, we're we're, and, we're, and we're, I, we're I, addicts and we're criminals. <laughs> Black drug addict is a criminal. White drug addict is, is they for our addictions that they gave. Like they helped us become addicts. They gave yeah. us the drugs. They planted it in our communities. They created the drug dealer, right? Yeah. Like America created the drug dealer. Yeah. They were the original drug dealers. Um, Not only did they give us almost life sentences, but they didn't even try to save the people that got addicted in the drugs that they gave to the communities. They let our communities rot. They let our communities be destroyed. And if it created into a ghetto, they would pick and choose which one they was going to gentrify yeah. because now crime was so high. It was like, man, we might want to go this geographic area because it's probably going to bring more dollars in. And now here you are. And, 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 and these, these situations, you look at DMX, you, you're like, well, shit, how much of the industry created what DMX was? It only uh, amplified his addiction because shoot, how much money was people probably making off this dude in his highest moments, especially yeah. when he was on top? It's like, y'all keep giving him what he needs, <laughs> you know, no. as long as he'll get to the concert instead of saying, oh, yeah, that's always the rules. That's, that's just, just, hey, he said he need this, then get it. Because you didn't hear <laughs> about the type of addiction he had at the height of his career, even though we know it was going on. I mean, the, yeah. no, it, was a, it was a shit show in the shit show. You didn't hear as much, but as soon as he was in the X, that was the number one, uh, uh, you know, hit maker, and he wasn't the X that could probably get you a hundred thousand in a stadium. Yeah, when music started transferring in a different way. Oh, okay, well now you'll hear about everything. Because yeah, and then you got to like like to, to to I kind of think like that Mike Tyson theory that Cus D'Amato had with Tyson. Like if you go back to when Tyson first started fighting, like his first almost 30 fights took place. It, like he was fighting literally like every three to four weeks. Like he, you know, he fight January 13th. When's your next fight? For February 10th. When's your next fight? March 17th. Like he was back to back. And they were like, why you, why you got him fighting so, so often? He said, I keep him fighting to keep him out of trouble. Mm. You know, when you get he cause if you leave him alone, you know, he's going to get into something. And I think there was a run with DMX. It was that it was similar. He had whoever um, who was, you know, you can call them handlers. Whoever was was stringing him was like, you need to be here. 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 When you drop when you drop an album, there's a press and there's a tour and there's a whole thing for it to drop two in the same year. You've met more or less conceit. That's almost two years of straight work. I mean, you drop the first album at the top of the year. You're working that whole album the entire year. Then to drop the second one at the end, you're working that one the entire. You're touring the entire year. Like you are, you are, you just going from A to B to C like all day long. So I think they probably had him something similar along that lines of we're just gonna keep you moving. And then once he sat down, or he just had to sit down because just you can't you can't live that way. You know, and then you start seeing more of these incidences start showing up. And then he still was a street dude. <laughs> you yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, he was no, still it, like it, a, you know, you got these street dudes getting into an industry that has regulations and, you know, has parameters and, you know, has some kind of structure. He has a street dude with all the getting all this money, still got street ties, still doing street shit because he doesn't look at it as I'm a star. And at one, and even in 98, when he came out in that era, hip hop was still young in a sense of maturing to become very much business. It was still, you had artists 
they had a good run, they go away and literally have to get, get a job at a liquor store. No. You know what I'm talking about? Now it's like hip hop was kerning into that controlling your brand yeah. and and be able to branch your brand out to different lucrative um, advertisement deals or very lucrative business ventures. So hip hop within itself now, I understand why kids are going into the music industry because it yeah. is literally really a career. Um, you can really have it jump, start so many different things that you, in your mind, want to do that you need to have money for that you don't got the money for, but you know you know how to rap. Okay. Yeah. Make a few yeah. albums. If it hits, shoot. Now you can go invest in your own. Now you just hit a TikTok lick. Let, let you, there's a whole lot of songs out that no one cared about until it became the background to a TikTok challenge. Brother. And then all of a sudden, these people go on platinum. 100%. You know, he, he's, he's just like, like what Soldier Boy was with ringtones. He just like, let's just go what ahead. Soldier Boy was with YouTube. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, a lot what, of stuff. Once the, 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 the other aspects of it. But I mean, but we got all these these incidences where, bro. There's a lot of incidents, dog. It's it, it, yeah. it's, it seems like it's. We really, I really thought, nah. What, I, I, let me stop playing around. I nothing was going to change from 2020 to 2021. It's oh, just, I, I believe because because of everybody is 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 finally coming back outside. So depending upon where you live in America, either. Uh, certain red states never fully shut down, but folks wasn't wilding out. It was just geography. Like yeah. if you lived in certain areas, you were you were still able to do what you did, but you weren't in areas where folks was wilding out anyway. So it was like, you know, I mean, if, if you outside of rural areas of Texas, parts of Oklahoma, you in parts of Nebraska, Montana, you never shut down. But yeah. you wouldn't do but it wasn't the spot anyway. Uh, and so then you had Miami, Houston, uh, you had all these areas, Atlanta. That, that never really closed. So people were going down there. Well, now everybody this last two months by is, June, everyone's going to be up and yeah, running. Everybody's is, is, is opening back up. So you got all these people who've been sitting on all these emotions, all this anxiety, all this frustration, uh, got struggling pockets, got all this, this, this stuff that they've been unprocessed. You're letting them all out at the same time. And yep. so they're going to start running rampant in these streets because there were certain cities that have been dealing with problems because everyone's been going there for problems. You know, they go down to Atlanta for this stuff. They pop it off, go down to Miami stuff, pop off like they're, you know, but now they folks can be in the streets in Cleveland. They're going to be in the streets in, in Brooklyn. They're going to be in the streets in Stockton. They're going to be like, people are going to be just wherever they're at. They're going to be back out in the streets for 2021. And I'm expecting the BS meter to be through the roof. And with the theme of what we're talking about, we're saying something without any shape, form, or fashion directions to cope with the trauma <laughs> of None. 2020. None. You took I did, I, 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 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. Just that bracket alone with no actual coping skills they've got coping mechanisms they've got like default things to do when stuff goes wrong but drugs they sex gangs all this stuff but given no actual tangible skills on how to process these things in this whole past year it, it, so it just build up build up build up and now they're saying go because go. the the market the job market opens back up scramble and figure something out because all these these 40 million unemployed americans all now got to get jobs oh, simultaneously and right now it's going to be a good market for a little bit because i hear a lot of businesses are looking for employees they can't well, find well, it. What I'm saying they laid 40 million people off so everybody's hiring but it's like you got to say okay 40 million and then th th there's the hustle what they learn is that a lot of companies and businesses learn it's better to not have you here so they they did the, they did the quarterly reports. They're showing all these companies were saving millions and millions of dollars on janitorial service and office supplies. Brother, I don't have to bring a janitor to clean every day after the office leaves. I'm not buying post-its. I'm not buying toner for the for the printer. I haven't spent money on staples or pencils. I the so you got buildings that that have owned several floors. They're clearing floors out. We're just going to keep the first and second floor, and we're giving up 
floors three through five because we realize we can do we can have you work from home. We can and have gonna, you do on location stuff. I don't know. Downsize and they're gonna downsize, and some are yeah. gonna not only downsize, but some are gonna sit there and say, you know what? Guess what? And we're gonna sell the building. Sell well, the building. Said, so like if somebody, you take, some developer can make a condo or or a apartment complex. You know what I mean? If you so imagine you're the janitorial service and your your whole account was these three office buildings. So they're like, we don't need you anymore because we so now that your that service is out. You're the you're the person who supplied the, the 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 staples and the pens and pencils. Okay, you're just losing millions of accounts. Okay, you're the person who okay, all these different things that used to go into in in functionality of of professions. You were the guy who ran the coffee kiosk in the circle of office buildings because all the people came in in the morning. Well, no one's coming in the morning anymore. You out of work. And like, now <laughs> let's also add the uh uh you know the 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 trolls the the, the um you know the tolls excuse me the trolls the tolls no. the the bridge tolls those those jobs in here in California eliminated they're going yeah. straight why the state not not non cash so yeah they want you fast got, track everywhere yeah and and so I mean it's how many like workers the, how now now all those workers are like now looking for opportunity. And some people have been doing that for 20 some freaking years. So you go, it's going to be before you're going to have people who are 22, 23, 24 competing with people who are 42, 43, 44 for the same job. So you're going to get the person who's 42, 43, who's been making X amount of dollars for the last 15 years in his profession. I'm not going to hire you because you're not, I'm not willing to pay what you're worth because I need now somebody to work this job. This 22 year old will take, 60 cents on the dollar of what I would have to pay you based upon your experience and what you know how to do. He'll take it because he's 22 with no experience. You won't take it. You're 42 with a mortgage and three kids. Like, and I'm not going to pay you what you're worth. So you're going to have a lot of people who are just displaced, trying to figure stuff out now with no recovery, because once all the restrictions are up, Uncle Sam is no more has an obligation to take care of you. Those stimulus checks partially came because it was government sanctioned. You could not work. Mm. So there was a degree of liability that was on the side of the government. And so now that not being the case, no, 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 you, you free, figure it out. So, well, well, what, wait a minute, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys can start evicting again. Uh, everybody got to get caught up on your utility bills. Gas uh, prices are freaking got, hella high. Uh, somebody was down in Southern California. They showed me a picture. It was uh, almost $6 a gallon. Like two weekends ago, bro, bro. Listen, I just got done flying back from Houston. Oh yeah, I know some folks are like, "Didn't you go to Houston? Got caught in a a thunderstorm? I mean, winter storm? Yeah, I did, but had to go back. (laughs) Business, good times. Always, dude. There's no such thing as six feet. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everybody's squunched. Like they, they were all freaking like sardines, and it was such a disaster. Got there two and a half hours early and still almost missed my flight. Like, everybody back. Is, it's spring break. Everybody uh, back. Everybody. And that's and the six feet thing was garbage in the airports the second they went back to booking full flights. Right. Because what's the dip? What is the purpose of having you stand six feet apart in line to put you in a chair that you were literally an inch and a half away from the person sitting next to you? Like, it, <laughs> There, I mean, that's it was BS. Once they said, "No, we're going back to full flights," and you should have just go ahead and got rid of the whole six feet nonsense in the airport, uh, because it, it's just it's just ridiculous. It does not even make any kind of logical sense. But now, so you're gonna have a lot of people who are gonna come back into the game with unprocessed emotions, mm-hmm. these unprocessed feelings, trying to figure out, you know, how I'm supposed to do this, how I'm supposed to, you know, you've got kids who lost their senior year. They lost their no, senior ball. They lost their parents. <laughs> they well, lost saying, their parents. So when you talk about marks of people moving forward, so you're you, so kids who are trying to adapt to man, I was gonna have my my senior year. I was gonna have my you know my graduation, my my senior ball, my homecoming, all that big game. I was gonna play. This is my last season to play football, play basketball. This was my all that wiped away. Now now just right. now here you are, just go out into the world. You haven't been socialized since your junior year. And now you're supposed to go into college at the end of summer and figure out you're in life now. You know, 
with with no skills because your parents probably didn't have me either because they've been trying to figure out how they're supposed to keep the lights on in the meanwhile. You know, it's just a lot of stuff. These incidences that happen, what happens the next part, you know, and, and, and it's important that we, we, we just don't try to start sweeping these moments under the rug and act like, oh, that was just 2020. Yeah, 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 that whole pandemic thing. I mean, we was out of work for a while, but but we cool now. No, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> Folks, it's not cool now. And, and there's going to need to be a, an intentional effort for people to process what the last year has been like, all those losses people took, like some of them personally, some of them professionally, financially, socially. You know, that that's a that's a lot. Well, see, I, I just did an interview with KCRA3. We we're talking about um, what they now consider COVID um, orphans. And of course, disproportionately black people are affected, <laughs> um, losing all these different things. And we talk about the trauma of it. We talk, dude, forget the senior balls, forget the football games, forget the, um, you know, the, the college tours that some of these kids could have done. Some kids have really lost both their parents, maybe one of their parents. Their parents could have lost their livelihood. They could have lost other siblings. They could have lost other um, guardians. And in our community, in the black community, we don't even recognize that. They don't even recognize that because they're so busy trying to push a needle. They're so busy trying to um, come to terms with getting our kids back to school, knowing most of the kids are not ready. And those who are ready, they've been ready because the uniform of their family unit has been functional even though everyone has prior gone through, to COVID they yeah were, yeah prior yeah. to COVID everyone has gone through distress what I hate about COVID it is now everybody realizes these things that affect the black community but as I said in the interview uh let's be very clear these things have always been here and now it's just immensifies because of COVID so it's not like COVID happened and Things in the black community just just, just fell apart now. Fell apart. Yeah. No, it's been. And what we have to do and what we have to identify is the reality of why. And I said I challenge those who are talking about wanting to make a clear investment to make a clear investment, an investment that is going to be sustainable, not an investment that's just a two-year block project and experiment, so to speak, and then you leave because our work is done here. But yet we still have traumatized children. And you know what traumatized children do? Traumatized children make traumatized tra traumatized children that make other traumatized children. And that goes into the simple fact of when we go right back to DMX, he was traumatized by what? His parents at an early age. So that same tra trauma has now been a generational curse of trauma to his kids because of his addictions. Not saying that he was a bad father. I'm not saying any of that. But they spent a lot of time behind glass wall. Spent a lot of time in rehab. And when a child sees that, and endures like the broken home. Yeah. Like this is trauma inflicted. So all his trauma in his childhood just now doo -doo, get just folds in and rolls over to his children. And we're hoping that his children don't take on that same effect. But if folks really want to believe that, like, because we don't really talk about it often, Bobby Brown lost. Everybody. His wife lost his daughter, lost his son-in-law, and lost his son. Y'all don't think that it got anything to do with the trauma that Bobby Brown dealt with that transferred to him, that he transferred to his own family, his own children? Like, wake the F up, people. Parenting is important identifying trauma and figuring out how we heal from it is important and stop categorizing ourselves as this resilient, we can handle everything type of people, almost like we're inhuman yeah. and the results are, are deafening because what ends up happening is what? We end up having black males who don't know how to process, yeah. don't know how to conduct themselves, don't know how to get advice, get help. Because they feel, if I get help, if I get advice, I'm not a man. And guess what they do? They let their anger end up displaying 
to the person that they allegedly love because they decide that they want to move to another direction or they've said, hey, you know what? I think that we need a, a time out of a break and you lose it. And we're seeing that every other day. You know, yeah. we're seeing it more black women be killed, more black children being killed. So if we're going to talk about the police brutality, we got to talk about the black women being killed. I'm not going to touch upon um, the white Lives Matter rally yet. I want to probably hold that for the next show because I want to see what my white comrades are going to do in that moment right now. Because I want to see white athletes. I want to see white uh, stars. I want them to talk out. I want to hear what they have to say. Yeah, denouncing you know? all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, because and I will speak upon that. I'm more, my more, I you know, drop my little more truth than you can handle thing on IG and you know, you know, Twitter if they allow me because I'm in Facebook jail again. But going back to finishing our conversation, black people, trauma is real in our community, and just thinking about all the multiple. Black women who have died, children, whether they have witnessed it um, or have become victim and then the survivors of it, what are they going to deal with? You know, when we talk about all these people, how they're going to how they're going to cope, what is going to be the coping mechanism for them? And I hope that people start listening and hearing that what folks are leaving is a trail of of dysfunction that is going to be too hard. If we're talking about a brother. 50 years old, had any woman he could have it. DMX, at one particular time, you heard what these bees want from a, a Negro. <laughs> and he wasn't probably lying about the girls he was rapping on that song. Oh, right? no. That's why the was one of the most difficult, because those, those names was real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, 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 like yeah. he had any woman he wanted at a particular time. And he had, a, and his fiance was gorgeous from what I see. Yeah. Had all the money. He was at the pinnacle. Like, DMX at one particular time, you could be DMX over Jay Z. <laughs> you know, DMX over Woodstock, us. And they always joke about when he performed the trial of the entire world, that Woodstock performance where nobody wanted to perform in the afternoon because everybody wanted to close at night because that's, you know, your headline in Woodstock. And when he came out in the middle of the day, and when you can captivate, I swear it looked like a million people out there. And he took the stage, and it was it was all white people. I don't, I don't remember even seeing any black faces out there. I don't, I don't, but I don't, I don't, but when you just see hundreds of thousands of people singing along to his songs simultaneously in the middle of the afternoon in that wide open field, like that, he couldn't tell me he wasn't on the top of the mountain. So you have all of that fame, fortune, friends, influence, access to every and anything. Yeah, and that still wasn't enough. That still wasn't enough for you to say, yeah, mom left. Oh, my, my, mom kicked me out. Dad left. Bum ass Negro gave me some of that yummy, got me stuck. But look at me now. That wasn't enough that to say for my 17 year old, 17 children, I'm going to move differently. And I know there's reports that it wasn't because of drugs. It wasn't because of uh, overdose. I'm not here to, to argue if it was for COVID, whatever. Bottom line, when you look at the people like Rick James, when you look at the people like uh, Tina Marie, a lifestyle of reckless behavior is going to catch up with you eventually. Just like if we don't take care of our health, once Barry's eating fried chicken five days a week. <laughs> and I've been doing that since I was 13 years old. I die at 50. What? I might have not been having a, a, a bucket of fried chicken that night. And I might have gave it up a year ago, but eventually all of that access yeah. beats your body up and your body eventually gives. So let's be very mindful, folks, of just trying to say, OK, yeah, he was clean. OK, DMX was clean. Good. But the damage has already been done. He has been dodging death a long time. And one thing that you cannot dodge is the trauma that has been inflicted on us if we don't find proper ways to heal. And sometimes, brother... No matter you got the best therapy, you got the best uh, accountability partner, event partners, sometimes that internal pain is just too much for anybody to get out of. And that's just being honest. Yeah. it And if you're of the mindset of well, that's not my that's not my reality, that that's not how I grew up. That's not how I raised my kids. Got it. Good for you. Kudos. Duly noted. But please don't understand think or believe for a second 
that these traumatized people just stay in one zip code. Mm -hmm. So these traumatized people without proper help and care will find your child who may not have shared their, their childhood experiences. Your daughter may come home with a dude with a bunch of unhealed, unprocessed emotions. Mm -hmm. Your son may come home with a girl who, who's had a bunch of unhealed pro problems and trauma. Your son or daughter may run into somebody who's got a bunch of unprocessed, unhealed trauma and, and issues. Mm -hmm. And these things can go sideways. So it just because it may not feel like this is not my reality in my four walls, it does not mean that these are things that will not affect you or things that you should not be concerned about. You know, these folks don't just stay on an island. So I think that these things that happen that we that's where the concern, the concern and the empathy and the care needs to be there for people who may be walking a path that we're not on. But it's important for us to care and want to have resolutions and want to have, you know, solutions to help these people, because the better that they get healed and, and the better that they are to deal with life, it just becomes a better society and group for all of us. Sure. <laughs> Where can folks find you, B, to keep up with you for these uh, important conversations? I'm back on Twitter, Barry Axios. <laughs> um, IG, Barry Axios. Like I said, free to kid on you know Facebook. And remember, Black Blue Crimps with a Z.com. Shouts out to Houston. It was going down. I'll be back there in May. And don't forget, we have May 22nd, the Malcolm X Festival. We'll talk more about that soon. Coming down, Tef Poe will be in the building. Let's hop okay. Yep. I'm Jermaine Morris on Facebook. Every other social media platform is at J Morris CEO. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, on iHeartRadio, wherever you're hearing this, please be sure to leave a comment, rate it, tell a friend. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's been Say Something Podcast. Until next time, we gonna holla. Yeah, Say we, something. Will. <laughs> we will holla at you later. Peace.